say I'm Marty. And uh, I want to thank Angie for asking me to do this. Um, I've known Angie a really long time, and it's a real honor that she thought of me to come here and hopefully carry the message of Alan on. Um, I also want to welcome the people who are new to this convention. You're in for one heck of a ride. Um, and those people that are new to Al-Anon, we really welcome you. Um, it's funny to me that I was asked to lead a meeting or speak at a meeting gratitude along the road of happy destiny because that was a word that I couldn't really say when I got here. Uh, for years in Al-Anon, I couldn't say that word. I would hear people say at the podium, I'm so grateful to my alcoholic because I ended up in Al-Anon, and I think, you've got to be out of your mind. What are you thinking, you know? Um, and today I can honestly, from the bottom of my heart, say that I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. And, you know, I was a little bit nervous about coming and doing this. Um, and the reason I was nervous is, is because it's not about the speaking. It's because I love this program so well, so much. I just want to get it right because I'm an Al-Anon, you know. Um, so I'll give it my best shot. Um, a little bit of background. I was the oldest daughter of two girls. Um, my parents were young parents. They started, uh, my mom had me when she was 20, which back then was normal, but now sounds really young. And um, my parents were, were not really done partying, you know. They had a really good time. The problem didn't seem to be alcoholism in our home. I mean, my they were professionals, or he, my father was a professional. My mom stayed at home. We had, you know, the house was immaculate. We had the pool and the cars and the stuff. And and uh, I had friends that had alcoholic, you know, parents, and and we would go chase them out of bars and, you know, the weeds were growing in the lawn and all that stuff. So I didn't really know what was wrong in my house. My parents drank every day, um, but so did everybody else in the 60s. I mean, you watch television and, you know, dad comes home and mom gives him a martini and that's kind of, you know, what I saw. So I didn't know that the problem was alcoholism. Um, what I knew was I was with babysitters probably three, four nights a week. Um, I We never went on family vacations. My parents were always off somewhere, you know, uh, with their friends. And, um, and because I didn't know what the problem was, I thought the problem was me, that there was something wrong with me, that if I could just be different, they would... Um, love me. They'd want to be with me. They'd be interested in me. You know, um, and it wasn't like that all the time. I mean, we did do things and we did have conversations, but the focus was always, you know, not on the children in the house. And, um, and I just had a really hard time feeling like I fit in anywhere um, until I got to be about 11 or 12 when I found drugs and alcohol and people who liked to you know, party. They had fun, just like my parents like to have fun. And, um, you know, I'm a member of Al-Anon. I am not an alcoholic and I'm not a drug addict, at least not yet. If, you know, I'm <laughs> probably not. Um, 
But part of my story involves, you know, it was the 70s, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and I was having a good time. And, um, and I felt like I, for the first time, I felt like I belonged somewhere. You know, I was accepted by people. We were having fun. It was exciting. And I was meeting people who were really exciting. And I, I just thought, you know, it's funny. They, they talk a lot now and on about us having old tapes, you know, rewriting the old tapes. Well, one of my old tapes was that I was very boring, that I had nothing to say, um, you know, and so I, but I found these people that were really, really exciting, and they did all kinds of crazy criminal stuff, and that was great, and, you know, and, and you know what, there was something, it was weird, because, you know, my dad would do things like half out sometimes at dinner, and, and, um, I loved that. I thought that was really cool. And when he would get, you know, he would get drunk, which was usually at a party or event, I really liked it. We had fun, you know. And when my first boyfriend was handcuffed to the curb and we were driving by and I saw him sitting there with handcuffs and police, I thought, wow, he's cool. I really like that guy. That's not normal, you know, and that's long before I met my husband, which is what brought me into the rooms of Al-Anon. So there I was, you know, having this wild life that my parents couldn't stand, and all of a sudden my mom became very interested in me because she couldn't control me and the fighting and the teenage stuff and the, the whole thing. And when I was about not, a little bit before 16, I moved out of the house. And I've never moved out since. Um, because my mom said to me, you've got to stop this lifestyle. And I said, why? I'm ha- you know, what else do I have? So, um, but also during that time, that was when I met who's now my husband. He's sitting over there somewhere. And... Um, <laughs> Wait, honey. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, you know, he was fun. He was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun together. There was always an adventure. A lot of times it involved police. It involved car chases and schemes and scams and deals and all this stuff. And I was in heaven. I just was like a part of something, you know. I got that, what I know today is a sick excitement. And, boy, uh, talk about being an adrenaline junkie. You know, I just love that rush. And I felt like if I was with somebody that was moving and shaking and doing, then I was somebody. Um, so we got together. We moved in together. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but we did. And um, and we were doing a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of drinking and, and, and drugs and stuff that people shouldn't do. And... and um, And I knew, I knew I needed to stop this lifestyle. There was a voice in the back of my head that said, you are in trouble, you're in over your head, you need to stop doing this or you're going to die. I mean, this is is serious. So I had a brilliant Al-Anon solution to my problem, and that was to get pregnant. Because I knew 
I wouldn't stop the lifestyle for me, but I would do it for my child. And so I don't remember asking my husband if that was a good idea. I don't know what he thought about it. I couldn't tell you that we had a conversation that, like, normal people have. I honey, would you like to have a baby? No, it wasn't like that at all. I, I just got pregnant and, um, and had my daughter. I was 19. Um, and uh, actually, we had a wedding ceremony when I was five and a half months pregnant. I need to tell you that um, I found out a few years ago that it was never legal, and so um, so we got married. We're actually pretty much newlyweds, I think, <laughs> and it's been 30 years. So <laughs> yeah, that's alcoholism, folks. You know, we just didn't do things the right way. You know, that way, that was the boring way. We had to, you know, and um, so. Back to then, you know, I did have this little baby. I did stop the partying lifestyle. I, for the most part, I can't say 100%, but probably 99%. And um, and he had no plans of stopping. None. For years he had no plans of stopping. And, you know, I don't think we had that discussion either. I just assumed that if, if it was time to stop, he'd stop, you know. But my husband is an alcoholic. He's an alcoholic, and he was not done drinking. Um, and that's when my craziness started, you know. I had another brilliant Anne on idea, which is if he would just stop drinking and using, if he would just behave, my life would be fine. And I set out on a mission to make that happen. And as a result of being on that mission, I I mean, that's where my pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization happened, you know. Um, I tried drinking his drinks, and all that did was get me drunk. I tried crying and nagging and yelling and throwing him out and taking him back and leaving, chasing him down in bars, beating people up, um, women especially. Um I would, there was a bar called the Balboa Lounge. It's not there anymore. I think it was on my first four step. It was the neighborhood bar. And he could get there pretty easily. Like, he could walk there from the house, or if he drove, he could drive with one eye without getting pulled over. And um, and there was another bar across the street, so they would all, you know, walk back and forth to this friggin' bar. And, um... I remember one night at 1 o'clock in the morning or so driving, putting my two little kids in the car, driving to that bar, parking in the alley behind the bar, leaving my little kids in that car, and going in the bar to drag him out. And I thought that was okay. I thought that was okay, you know, because I was on a mission. Because if he was going to be, if he stopped, we, our family was going to be okay. And, um, you know, I had to make amends to those kids. Absolutely. Um, I had a corporate job. I was raising two little kids. 
pretty much as a single parent. My husband was kind of the kind of alcoholic that would disappear for four or five days and then show up again. So I pretty much was trying to keep it all together, and I would go to work and act like everything was fine, and then I'd go home, and the craziness would start. And I did that for a really long time, and I didn't even realize what kind of toll that was taking on my family. Other people could see it. I know they could, but I couldn't see it. And so what happened was I had met this friend who was an, a member of Al-Anon. You know, they talk about Eskimos in this program. They talk about, you know, God putting those people in your life to get you here. And through a series of events, I met this woman. She uh, was a member of Al-Anon. I don't even know if she's still here, but she was taking a five-year cake in Al-Anon. And she asked me if I wanted to go watch her take a cake. And I thought, sure, you know, that's what friends do, right? They go support their other friends. I have no idea. I had no idea that the problem in my home was alcoholism. I had no clue. I was in such denial. I just thought if he would knock it off, we'd be fine, you know. And um, I really, really, really wanted to figure out how to get rid of my alcoholic. You know, I really wanted to because he would leave and he would come back. And I would leave, and I would come back, and it was this cycle going back and forth, and I just, I loved him, and I hated him all at the same time. And, um, you know, I heard now and on that that's what we do. We love him and hate him at the same time, that that's how it goes, you know. I didn't realize that that was, you know, normal for people like us. And um, so anyway, she said, come, you know, watch me take a cake, and I said, sure. And it was a panel meeting, which I, we don't, I haven't been to a panel meeting since, I don't think. Like, there's not that many of them, but there were five people speaking that night. And um, by the end of that night, I knew what the problem was in my house, and I knew where the solution was. Now, in my head, because I was still, you know, coming up with strange ideas, my head was, these people are going to tell me how to get rid of the alcoholic. You know, and so I'm going to listen to them. But I had a name for the situation. And um, I've been coming to Al-Anon ever since. You know, that meeting was June 21st, 1991. Um, I was 30 years old. And, um, and I have lived this journey of Al-Anon through my entire 30s and, well, into my 40s, which I really don't even go there but I um what a journey it's been you know um when I read the topic gratitude along the path of happy destiny or whatever it is I thought to myself you know the path didn't start the day I walked into Alnon the path started when I was born and they talk about how you will not regret the past and not wish to shut the door on it and that's really been true for me and I can honestly say that I'm grateful for all those experiences that I've had even leading up to when I walked into these rooms. Um, from that moment on, I that meeting was a Friday night. 
I went to your meeting Sunday night, which became my home meeting, and I planted my feet in Al-Anon. I got a sponsor right away. She was the only person that would talk to me. <laughs> I was mean when I got here. I was really mean. I came in in June wearing a leather jacket and biker boots, and I had a snarl on my face, and I did not want to hug, and don't talk to me. I'm just going to learn this stuff, figure it out, and get out of here. I do not want to be friends with these people. <laughs> and, um, and she didn't care. She talked to me anyway. I couldn't believe it. She was, she was probably meaner than I was, to tell you the truth. And uh, so I asked to be my sponsor, and, and for the first probably nine months of, of Al-Anon, she was my sponsor. And what a gift to have somebody in your life that you can call and say, okay, what do I do now? And what do I do now? And what do I do now? Because because as I'm going to Al-Anon, you know, I love that reading, because as I'm going to Al-Anon, his drinking didn't get better. It got worse, because now I'm not drinking his drinks anymore, and I'm not nagging, and I'm not scolding, and I'm not, you know, pouring liquor down the sink, and I'm not chasing him down. I'm going to a bunch of meetings. And I'm saying, bye, honey. You know, I love you. When I just, you know, I did a lot of things that were difficult to do at that time. Um, you know, they told me, take the action and the feelings will follow. And that's what I did. Um, they told me not to make any, any major decisions for six months. And I'm grateful for that. Because my life changed in six months. Um, they told me to go to two or three committed meetings a week, get a sponsor, and start working the steps. Work with others. Um, you know, that if I had three days in Al-Anon and a newcomer walked in the door, then I had three more days than they did, and I better go shake, my, shake their hand, and that's what I did. And um, the other thing I was told right from the beginning is get my kids in Alateen, and I did. And I am so grateful to Alateen. I can't tell you. Um, at that time, my daughters were 6 and 11, and the little one went into preteen. And when she wasn't in preteen, she was coming with me to my Al-Anon meetings and um, coloring under the table and sleeping in Al-Anon meetings until I got better. And the older one was a little young for Alateen, but they voted her in so she could go to Alateen. And uh, you may have been her sponsor. I don't vote for you guys. Um, but I am so grateful because back then I could not. I was a terrible parent. I was so focused on that alcoholic. And Alateen loved my kids. And Alateen gave them tools to deal with living in an alcoholic home. Alateen gave them people in their life that were consistent, that showed up, that opened those doors every single meeting. You know, they had a place to go. And um, as my kids grew up in Alateen, they got, they, my children have friendships today still from Alateen. I used to call them a gang without guns because they would go in packs everywhere, you know. And I knew my children were okay because they were with Alateen. And um, I'll be forever, you know, talk about gratitude. I, I. I am so grateful for that program. I, at some point in my recovery, I became an Alateen sponsor, trying to possibly give back just a little bit of what I had gotten from, from Alateen or from what my family had gotten. And um, 
Uh, if you haven't done that, I strongly suggest it. It, it. I grew so much. I grew so much um, as a result of being an allergy sponsor. Um, but anyway, so I'm in recovery. He's drinking more. Um, I'm letting him. He's liking it. And... Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, There came a moment where I said, you know what, I can't live like this anymore. I just can't live like this anymore. And my sponsor told me um, that I needed to call sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous and talk to them about my situation. And I was willing enough to pick up the phone and talk to scary alcoholics that I didn't even know. And I called this man and I said, I don't know what to do. And he said... If you do what's best for your family, you're doing what's best for the alcoholic. If you do what's best for you and your children, that's exactly what's best for the alcoholic. And at that point, I did ask him to leave the home. And he must have hurt. I don't know. Maybe he wanted it, but he left. And, um, and you know, I wouldn't have had the courage to do that. I wouldn't have had the courage to do it without Al-Anon and Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I don't remember how long he was gone, maybe a month or so, and I got a phone call, uh, middle of the night phone call, and it was him saying, could you please drive me to a hospital, I'm ready to get sober, and uh, I said, yes, you're not coming home, but I'll take you to a hospital, and, and that's what I did. And that was when he started his attempt at, at sobriety, and um you know, our story is one, you know, my husband has about seven years of sobriety now, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, but my story is one where he really struggled in sobriety, and, um, you know, he went into rehab, and he came out, and he flipped and went back, and you know the drill. And um, what I've learned from that was I am powerless over alcohol. I am powerless over alcohol. I will never be as attractive, as smart, as sexy, as alluring as alcohol is to my alcoholic. And um, and that when I get the illusion that I think that I can manage this disease, my life is crazy. Well, that's nuts. Um, I... I remember walking on eggshells when he first went into rehab, and I remember thinking that if I said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing, he was going to go out again. And so I didn't say the wrong thing, and I didn't do the wrong thing, and he went out anyway. You know, this is not, we, I cannot make him drink, and I cannot make him not drink. I am powerless over this disease. Um, and I am so grateful that Alanon gave me that gift of knowing from the bottom of my heart how powerless I am. Um, the other thing I did was I went to open AA speaker meetings, a lot of open AA speaker meetings. And what that gave me was compassion for the alcoholic and the knowledge that 
he didn't ask to be born with this disease of alcoholism. He didn't want to be an alcoholic. He wasn't doing it to me. He wasn't doing it at me. He wasn't trying to screw up our family. He had a disease, and that disease gave him a compulsion to drink. You know, and um, I was able to have compassion for him, and it was through hearing other alcoholics. I couldn't hear it from him, but I could hear it from others. Um, I uh, I have the privilege today of sponsoring women, and um, what a gift, you know. I was able to get to a place in my recovery where uh, people wanted to share their deepest, darkest secrets with me. And um, I'll tell you what, I've been given, I, being the receiver of that is so much more powerful than anything you can get from, from actually doing the step. I mean, just having that connection with another human being is just amazing. And I've been, I'm really grateful for that. Um, you know, we've had hard times in sobriety, and we've had hard times with the drinking. And, um, you know, probably my worst, my biggest bottoms, my biggest bottoms have been uh, in sobriety and in Al-Anon. You know, that's when life gets real. You know, denial's not such an option, and and there's problems that come up. And I've lived through a lot of stuff. Um, both my parents have passed away since I've been in program. Uh, my father died just how he lived. He didn't tell me he was sick, dropped dead, and I got a phone call um, because he wouldn't talk. You know, we didn't talk about what was going on with us. I talked to my father every at least once a week because you taught me how to be a good daughter. But all he could talk about was the weather and travel and that kind of stuff. So that's what I talked to him about. So I never knew. With my mother, she had an illness, and uh, she did share that with me. And I was able to, when my mom finally passed away, I was able to be completely 100% clean with her. I had made my amends. I had been of service to her. I had been loving to her. And um, when she finally died, I really felt like um, I was clean, that all the wreckage and all the baggage and all the things that I had done to her were gone. And um, and not the gift of al and the other miracle about them passing was the funerals because you guys were there, you know. I can't, the rooms were filled with Al-Anons just loving and supporting me. And um, I remember sitting there, you know, they put the family aside behind a little curtain or whatever and people come up to pay their respects and... Uh, Alanons walked by, you know, to pay respects to my mom and sobbing out of gratitude. I'm so grateful, you know, that you guys show up for me. Um, I look out into this room right now and I know like three quarters of you. And I'm so grateful, you know. Um, I was nervous about doing this, like I said, and I'm like, why am I nervous? 
I love you guys. You love me, and I believe it. And that's the miracle of Al-Anon. Um, my children are grown now. My oldest daughter is 28, and my youngest one is 23. Um, and my oldest daughter just got married in October. And my husband and my daughter did the father-daughter dance, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house because Alcoholics Anonymous and sobriety have made him into a person that shows up for his family, loves his children, and they love him back. And that was not what was going on in my home. You know, it was not like that at all. When he got out of rehab and decided he'd be present in that house, my kids rebelled. They were mad. You know, they thought, who are you telling me what to do? And I had to let them fight it out because that's what you all told me to do. And it was scary and it was hard. And I'll tell you what, you know, watching the two of them dancing on that dance floor, um, the funny part about it was it was the song uh, was a duet by uh, Ozzy Osbourne and his daughter. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it was just so perfect. It was so perfect. Um, and, um, you know, and the other, you know, we talked today. My husband and I actually talked today. And we're talking about the possibility of being grandparents together. And we're excited about that, you know. And and that's a miracle of recovery. And I'm really grateful for that, too. Um, you know, I... Uh, I have a sponsor today that is, um, she's been my sponsor, I think, maybe 16 years or so. I actually asked her to be my sponsor here at the San Fernando Valley Convention. I have never been in a relationship with a female that long in my life. Before I got here, um, I didn't really like women much at all. I liked them. They were fun. But women, I had no use for them. And um, my sponsor is a big advocate of going to women's retreats. And, oh, I did not want to go to those women's retreats. And I call, I would I do the same thing. Every year I'd say, I'm not going this year. I'm not going this year. Why not? And she would, we would have this conversation like the night before. And she would say, I will never forget the last time we had this conversation. And I said, I'm not going. And she said, why? And I said, because I don't like women. And she said, well, honey, you are one. So if you don't like women, you probably don't like yourself much. And you better go. And, I, and it just, it was like getting hit upside the head. And she said just like that. If you know her, that's how she said it. And um, I had to look at that. That was like, you know, the good thing about my sponsor is she tells me the truth even if it pisses me off. And I love that. Haven't always loved that. I love that today. I'm grateful for that. And she told me the truth. And, um, and I had to take a look at that. 
And what I realized is if you guys saw through me, that's why we want to be around women. You guys knew me. I couldn't fool you. I couldn't put up a facade about, you know, who I was and what I was doing. I couldn't be hip, slick, and cool with you guys. You saw what I was, and I didn't like it. Um, today, I have amazing women in my life. I mean, unbelievable women from my sponsor and my Al-Anon sisters and my friends in Al-Anon and the people I sponsor, um, my children. Funny, I went from thinking that I didn't have time for Al-Anon when I first got here. Like, I was not going to give up my dance lessons and my other stuff that I was doing to go to Al-Anon. And uh, today, all my relationships with women in Al-Anon, my really dear friends, you know, I have friends that I can call at 3 o'clock in the morning. Anytime, they'll be, they'll be there, you know, and they call me too. Um, where am I at on time? Am I good? Yeah. Good. Um, and I am very, very grateful for the relationships that I have. And the thing that I love about this convention is I get to see people and I only see it once a year. I mean, there's a Um And, uh, you know, this, when I, when I first came in, I went to um, SoCal convention. I came in in June and SoCal was in September and it was in San Diego. And I thought, I'm going by myself. Because, of course, I didn't like anybody, and everybody was going, so I'm going, but I'm not going to talk to anybody. So I go down there, and I cried for three days at SoCal. And I, and, uh, and the crying didn't stop for about three months. You know, my first few months of Alamut, I cried a lot. And I, I, I didn't even know what I was crying about, but I had so many feelings inside of me that needed to come out. Um, and today I'm pretty current with my feelings and that's a miracle. You know, I I got to a point for a few years, for several years, where I was like two weeks. There was a two week time lag between having an event and having a feeling about it. And uh, by the time I got I had that feeling I didn't even remember what had happened two weeks ago, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. But today I can say I'm pretty current. And uh, and that's something I'm really grateful for, that I can be present in the moment, and I can and I can feel the joy of being here at the San Fernando Valley Convention and seeing the people that I love out there. Um, about... I want to say about 10 years ago, we had a really hard time. Um, I was pretty sure that my family was splitting up, um, and it was really hard. It was really hard because by that time I had put both feet in that marriage. Um, I was no longer questioning whether I wanted to be married to the alcoholic or not. When I say married, you guys know what I mean. I, you got the story about the I'm only married two years, but um, and uh, and, I, and it all blew apart. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. We had sobriety. I thought 
we didn't, but I thought we did. And uh, and I have gone to Al-Anon. I've worked with staff. I had a sponsor. I worked with others. I did what you told me to, and my marriage was falling apart, and I was mad. And I blamed Al-Anon for that. And uh, I'm so glad that I didn't leave, that I did an inventory, that I looked at it, and I realized that God was working in that situation. It was not Al-Anon's fault. You know, things had to blow apart the way they did because the pieces needed to come back better than they were before. Um, And today we have a really good relationship. We have a really good marriage. Most days we actually enjoy being with each other. Um, And I don't think we could have achieved that if that hadn't have happened. and I certainly am grateful for that experience. You know, they used to tell me, and I hear it once in a while, and meaning not very often anymore, you know, be grateful for the seemingly bad as well as the seemingly good. And I didn't get it. And today I get it. I get it. You know, my father used to tell me, you're right in the middle of a miracle when it was hitting the fan and... And I'd be really mad at her for saying that. What do you mean I'm right in the middle of a miracle? My life's falling apart. She said, no, just wait. And she's right. I was right in the middle of a miracle. And um, and today I know that those things that happen that are painful are necessary. Um, and that, you know, I'm, I have a faith in God today that I got from being a member of Al-Anon that I never had before. When I came in here, I didn't really, I don't know if I didn't believe in God, but I, I didn't, it, you know, I just didn't even think about that kind of stuff. It wasn't anything I, I considered. I thought people who said the word God were strange, you know. Um, prayer was Weird. I, I just, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I wasn't brought up in a religious home, and I didn't get it. And um, I remember seeing the steps written on the wall and thinking, I'll only do the ones that don't have the word God in it, which is only like a couple. And uh, and I wouldn't say that word for a long time. It just made me really uncomfortable, this God thing. And for working the steps, I found a God in my life that I actually trust and believe in. And I believe that everything that's happened in my life was necessary for me to be where I am to be where I am today, and that I am on the path, you know, the road. I think it's funny. It says road to happy destiny. It's like, well, when does it end? And I guess, you know, I used to tell myself, "What? I want to know how it ends." She said, "You do." And I'm like, oh, God, that's terrible. Anyway, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I came to the realization that I never, ever have to do anything alone again. And that is comforting to me. I have God and I have all of you. No matter what it is, the, my biggest fear, there's nothing that I have to do by myself. And there's nothing that can happen to me that hasn't happened to one of you. And if I just get honest and tell the truth, there's going to be somebody out there to put their hand out and say, you know what, honey, me too. And uh, 
And so all those crappy experiences that I've had, the painful ones, the scary ones, most of them I've been able to put my hand out to somebody else and say, you know what, honey, me too. And I've really lived those things. Um, and that's what we do here in Al-Anon. Um, where am I at on time? Yeah? Cool. Yeah. There we go. Now I know. Um, my phone does not stop ringing these days. It doesn't. I mean, I... I can't isolate if I wanted to. You know, they talk about alarmism as being a disease of isolation, and it really is. You know, when I start getting some emotional pain or things aren't going my way, my first thought is to isolate. I just want to turn off the phone and lock the door and go in my room and be by myself, and nobody in Al-Anon will let me do that. You know, they call, they, you know, they come over, they email and now there's so many technological ways of getting a hold of somebody you know and uh you guys don't let me isolate um you guys keep me honest um you, the other thing that i love about the program of al-anon is that we're not all messed up on the same day you know <laughs> Um, and that really, that's meaningful, you know, because if I'm having a bad, I don't care if you have one day in Al-Anon or 30 years in Al-Anon, we have bad days, you know, and, uh, but not all of us have bad days on the same day, and, uh, there's always somebody that I can call, always somebody that's going to take my phone call. There's, if not, there's always a meeting I can go to. There's over 400 meetings in the L.A. area. I have to like, count it on once because I wanted to They say that in the meeting. There's over 400 meetings in the L.A. area. And I thought, yeah, right. You know, I'm going to count them and prove them wrong. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I do that the first time I worked the steps, too. I worked the steps to prove they didn't work. And uh, and that's my nature. That's who I am, you know. And darn, they they work. You know, they work. Um, I got a God. I surrendered to that God. I did a searching and fearless moral inventory and took a look at my life for the first time in an honest way and admitted out loud to somebody else and to God what I did. What I did, what I said, how I felt, how I acted, um, what I was afraid of, you know. And I, I remember that first fourth step I did, and I thought, oh, my God, she's going to fire me for sure. There's no way that she's going to want somebody in her life that's done the things I've done, you know. And she's like, oh, you think that's bad? You want to hear what I did? You know, and that's what we do. We we all have stories, you know. Um, so I gave up four steps away and, and got relieved. And then six and seven came, and oh boy, uh, those are those are tough ones. Those are really tough, you know. That's where I got to take a look at those defects of character, and and uh, they weren't pretty. And the worst part about it is I couldn't stop doing those things. Even after I saw it, I couldn't stop. 
I couldn't shut up for the life of me. My mouth would just keep going and going and going, you know, and, and um, I couldn't stop the behaviors, and I tried, and, and one of the things that I am, I am, I'm a hitter, you know, I'm a hitter, and, uh, and I've hit a lot of people, and um, I don't hit people anymore. I'm really glad. The last time I hit somebody, I was four years in Al-Anon. And I don't hit people anymore. And I'm glad. You know, but I didn't want to hit people. I just couldn't stop myself because they were whatever. So, um, six and seven were really hard for me because I was doing these behaviors and I could not stop myself. And what happened for me is I had to just accept that this might be as good as it gets, that I might be broken forever, and if it is, it's God's plan, and I just need to be the best me I could be every day, and if God saw fit to remove them, so be it. And I had a spiritual awakening at that point, and I have never been the same. I've worked the steps since then, and I've had spiritual awakening since then, but that first seven steps that I did was amazing. It was it was definitely that change that they talk about. Um, I've made amends to, I made a list of all the people that I've harmed. I definitely became willing to make amends to them all. Um, I made amends, and, uh, you know, if you're new, it sounds really scary to be making amends to people for the things that you've done. But by the time, for me, by the time I got there, I trusted the process. I trusted that this thing works. So if everything works leading up to this point, I probably wasn't going to die from making amends. And, uh, and there was a lot of healing with a lot of people in my life, you know. And today, I, you know, I still work the steps. My, you know, my sponsor kicks me in the, you know what, every so often to, to get moving again. And, but, uh, the, the thing that, the, the step that's the biggest challenge for me all the time is practicing these principles in all my affairs, you know, to be the best woman I can be in all these affairs, to be honest to be courageous, to have integrity, you know, to to be, to allow people the dignity to live their life the way they need to, you know, to trust God, um, you know, all the things that, all the principles that we learn as we walk down this road in Al-Anon, um, it's really hard. It's really hard. Some days I do really well and some days I really don't do very well. And, um, but I try, you know, it's just practice. It doesn't, it doesn't say you have to do it right every time. And I do try. And I do try to clean up my wreckage when I create it rather than letting it linger. I try. Um, and I try to be honest with others. I, uh, you know, I'm really grateful to be here because because I'm, I'm entering a new phase in my life. You know, the last time that I spoke in this room, we were the family speakers for Alateen. 
And if, and so it was my husband, myself, and my daughters, and we, we shared here. And now, um, you know, the children are grown, and it's him and I, and, you know, there are, it's different. It's different to be not being a mom anymore, you know, not being, I'm looking forward to being a grandma, you know. I, I, uh, we're working on it, or they're working on it. I'm not doing any work on it. <laughs> I'm just rooting, you know. <laughs> Anything I can do to help, you know. Um, but we are. We're entering a new phase in our life, and so it's kind of like, okay, and I'm, and I'm speaking at the convention again, and I'm speaking as a mother of children who don't live with me anymore, and I'm pretty much a newlywed, and... Uh, actually, it's been two years, right? That we're not nearly much anymore. I don't think. Um, the actually, that was that was interesting too. That was a miracle. We decided, you know, I broke the news to him that we weren't married, and he said, <laughs> and I was like, and I was trying to figure out what to do with this information. Like, huh? What do we do? So I told him, and he proposed. It was so sweet. And he got me a ring, and we did it the right way. I think that was the first thing we've ever done that normal people do. You know, he proposed, I got a ring, we set up the wedding plans, we went to Vegas, my children were in the wedding, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And um, and now we're starting our life together as, you know, couple, an older couple with Old, old children, and um, and so far it's looking good. You know, for today we have sobriety in our home. I never take that for granted ever. It's really hard for an alcoholic not to drink, and I appreciate that he one day at a time doesn't. And uh, and I'm grateful for the relationship I have with my children, who both talk to me on a daily basis and call me when they want to run something by somebody and reason it out, you know. Uh, I can't believe I'm that kind of mom today that they want to go, they want to be with and they want input from. And that's a gift of Alan Mon and Alateen too. And with that, I think I'm going to stop. And thank you for letting me share. Okay.